Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning here in Voorhees. We're glad that you're with us worshiping God this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Why, thanks. <laughs> How many of you are uh, going to be traveling for Thanksgiving? Any travelers? Yeah, okay, a few. Uh, how many are hosting, going to be hosting people at your place? Any hosts? Nice. What are the rest of you doing? <laughs> That's all right. We, we can talk about that later. So um, I was um, talking to my Uber driver uh, this past week, and uh, uh, just I know many of you know, but not everybody knows, um, I have this degenerative vision condition called retinitis pigmentosa, and it, um, it has gotten to the point where I no longer drive a car. And so I'm really grateful for Lyft and Uber as uh, this great tool for me to be able to get around, as well as good friends and family and so forth. So I was in my uh, Uber uh, car. Uh, this past week, and the young man driving me was, um, English was clearly a second language for him, and, but he did just fine uh, with English. So uh, I said, so do you have plans for Thanksgiving? And he said, well, we don't really celebrate Thanksgiving in my family. We're from the Dominican Republic. And uh, I said, oh, well, that makes sense. He said, yeah, you know, but on Thursday, um, my siblings and uh, their kids uh, and my family go to my mom's house and uh, you know we have lunch uh, together and and dinner and you know watch football <laughs> that sounds like thanksgiving it got me thinking so what does it mean to celebrate Thanksgiving, you know, because like so many of these holidays, the original meanings behind them kind of get lost. So what, what is this Thanksgiving thing about? So I was reviewing a little history of Thanksgiving in this country, and, you know, we know the story. In 1621, the pilgrims at that time had their first really successful harvest and so in celebration of that, they had a three-day-long festival or celebration. They invited the uh, Native American folks who had been so helpful to them in learning how to cultivate the land in this new area um, so that they could have this harvest. And for three days, they ate together, they celebrated together, and they gave God thanks for his many blessings in their lives. Fast forward from there, about 240 years, Abraham Lincoln and the U.S. Congress ratified a new federal holiday called Thanksgiving and Praise, and it was a day set aside for the country, and this was in uh, 1864, so still in the midst of the Civil War, um, for us as Americans to give God thanks and praise. That's actually in the language of what was ratified. It was a day of giving thanks and praise to our all-present God. 
And again, fast forward to the 1940s, and under the Roosevelt administration, the holiday was moved from the first Thursday of November to the fourth Thursday in November, but still holding on to this language of giving thanks. And so this morning, as we are moving toward Thanksgiving, I wanted to spend my time talking about this idea of thanksgiving. And it can sound a little trite, perhaps, a little corny, but the reality is it is a profoundly important part of our lives. Several weeks ago, after a worship service, a guy came up and said, hey, Jeff, have you ever heard of the podcast, The Happiness Project? And I said I didn't, hadn't, so tell me a little more about it. And he explained that um, it's this podcast by a professor from Yale, Dr. Uh, Lori Santos. And Dr. Santos, in her work uh, among college students and, uh, and the faculty and so forth, began to hear more and more how unhappy people were. And then began to hear in this broader culture, there's this kind of deep unhappiness. And so it got her thinking about this idea of happiness. And is it something that can be studied and looked at and understood using the scientific model of looking at things? And so she began to do some research and began to discover some things and uh, decided that she would offer a class on happiness. So she put it into the uh, offerings for Yale for that year, expected you know, 20 or 30 students to sign up, and over 1,500 signed up for this class. Talk about catastrophic success, right? And so out of this, that experience of that class and the research that she began to do, she created this happiness project, and it's now a podcast. And I've listened to a couple of them. Um, I've got several more to go, and I, I plan on listening to them. It's, it's kind of interesting. Two things I've taken away so far. The first is they've discovered through scientific study that things don't make us happy. I know. Things don't make us happy. Money doesn't make us happy. Success doesn't make us happy. A good job doesn't make us happy. Long-term relationships don't make us happy. The second part of that, though, is that happy people tend to make more money, experience more success, and have richer long-term relationships. It's not that those things make us happy. Those things don't have the power within themselves to make someone happy. But someone who is happy tends to draw those things in greater ways to him or herself. The second thing that I've learned about happiness through this uh, study by Dr. Santos is that there is there are ways for someone to become more happy. Right? So don't pursue the things that aren't going to make you happy, but there are things that people can do that they have, they have scientific data to demonstrate help us become more happy. And two in particular. One is the practice of kindness, and the second is gratitude. 
And so what they said is people who um, make this a discipline or a habit in their life, the practice of kindness and gratitude actually increase their level of happiness over time. Fascinating, right? So let's think about your own happiness. What makes you happy? Not, not what makes you happy. Let me ask it this way. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? So I'm, this isn't rhetorical. I, I literally want you to just say out loud, what are some, some, what's something that you are thankful for? Just shout it out. Right? They were much happier and thankful at the first service. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's the things that we're thankful for. When um, Marilyn and I were in uh, the early years of our marriage, really probably for the first 10 or 12 years of our marriage, we started this little practice, this habit, if you will, uh, on Thanksgiving. At the end of Thanksgiving Day, when we were you know, alone, that we would go through the entire alphabet, and for each letter, we had to identify something that we were thankful for. You know, so I'm thankful for the autumn. It's, you know, I love the colors and the temperatures of autumn. And uh, she would say, I'm thankful for Aunt Sally. You know, she's such a great part of our lives and so forth. And we'd have to go through every letter of the alphabet year after year. It was amazing how thankful we were for xylophones and zebras. <laughs> you know, it gets tough. But it was just, we didn't, we didn't really think of it as practicing a habit of happiness, but it was this recognition that there is so much that we can be thankful for. Several years ago, I was in a conversation with a, a guy who uh, was in the midst of his own uh, sobriety. So he had lived a large number of his adult years as an alcoholic, and uh, he had uh, finally decided to, uh, to get sober, began attending AA meetings, and when I was having this conversation with him, he was about a year into his sobriety. And one of the things he shared with me was there was a point in that, in those first several months of sobriety where he became aware of all of the damage he had done over the course of his active alcoholism. The relationships that he did damage to, the opportunities that he missed, the events that he didn't go to or missed out on because he was drinking. And he said, you know, I just became overwhelmed with guilt and shame over all of those things that I missed. It was almost going to overwhelm me. He said, fortunately, I had a really good sponsor, and as I was sharing this with him, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin 
to keep a gratitude journal. And I want you every day to write down things that you're thankful for. And he said, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand why we, I was doing that, but I trusted this guy, and so I began. And he said, it was, it was okay. But then after about four or five days, I went to him and said, I'm done. Like, I'm out of stuff. I've written everything down that I'm thankful for. Now what? He said, oh, no, you're just getting started. He said, so I see that you've written that you're thankful for your family. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to name everyone in your family and your extended family. And then I want you to write specific things about that person, each one that you're thankful for. You're thankful for, you know, the fact that you have a job. I want you to write down the things within that job, the people, the events, the activities, anything that you can think of that you're thankful for. And he said, as I began to do that, as I began to drill down into the things that I was thankful for, I began to recognize that there was a whole part of my world that I was missing because I wasn't looking through the lens of thanksgiving. I wasn't really paying attention to all of these wonderful blessings, all of this good stuff that was right there in front of me. And now I've begun to see it. Here's the thing about gratitude and thankfulness. It's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on your circumstances. In the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of great challenge or hardship or disappointment, there are reasons for gratitude. And that gratitude expressed can change your whole outlook. So let's rewind 2,000 years. To a man sitting in a prison, in chains, in a Roman prison, a prisoner of the most powerful nation known to humanity up to that point in history. And he's in prison because he is a follower of Jesus. I'm talking about Paul. So he had that going on. Not only that, but people who were once his friends, people who were once a part of his world, people about whom he was a part, the leaders within the Jewish faith wanted him dead. Not just arrested, they wanted him dead. So he had that going on. And then beyond that, this, this movement of Christ followers that was beginning to sweep across the region that he was a point person in. And we're forming these gatherings, these groups, what they called the ecclesia, the gathering of Christ followers, these little churches that we're forming. 
and drawing people from all cultures and all backgrounds. And while it was wonderful and amazing, it was also filled with conflict and struggle as they were trying to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Christ, not just as an individual, but as a community of faith. And they're bringing all of their problems to Paul. You get the picture? It's not happy times. And so in the midst of all of that, Paul writes a letter to one of those ecclesias, one of those gatherings of Christ followers in a city called Philippi. And sitting in that prison, knowing that there were powerful people that wanted him dead and there was all of this conflict going on, he wrote these words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? I'm sorry, what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. I want to stop there. Paul says there is an alternative way to go through life. You can put anxiety aside. You can reject being anxious, fearful. The root of that word anxiety in the Greek literally is distraction. You can put aside the distraction. You can put aside the fear. You can put aside the anxiety in this way by bringing it to God in prayer. By giving it to God in prayer with your requests, your petitions. And while you're at it, with your thanksgiving. Think about the things that you are thankful for as you're in the midst of unloading all of this on God. So it's not ignoring the things that you're anxious about or fearful about or concerned about or worried about or are pressing on you. It's not ignoring those. It's that you bring those to God and keep in perspective all the other stuff. Later in this chapter, soon after he wrote those words, Paul said this, whatever is beautiful, honorable, praiseworthy think about those things because at the same time you have the reality of all of the anxieties and fears and so forth at the same time there are wonderful honorable beautiful things all around you the problem becomes you know when when we get anxious when we when we allow the fear and the and the worries and so forth to consume us it puts blinders on us a tunnel vision and all we can see is the problem all we can see is the worry and the fear and all of all of that stuff paul is saying as you bring that to god remember to think about those things that are honorable and Beautiful and praiseworthy. When we do this, this is what Paul says will happen. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we live this alternative way, the benefit, the blessing, is a deep, deep peace that goes beyond, you know, rational understanding. It goes beyond our ability to explain it. It's like happiness, right? I just feel it. And this peace will secure your mind and your heart so that you're not overwhelmed by the anxiety. We're back 2,000 years. Let's go back another 1,000 years or so to another man who is also being led and inspired by the Holy Spirit who writes about his own life in journals that he keeps. We call those journals the Book of Psalms. His name was David. And as David is reflecting on his life, he wrote these words. We identify it as Psalm 69. Listen to what David said in verses 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Sounds like he's having a bad day, <laughs> right? I am up to my neck in issues and problems and struggles. There's nowhere to put my feet. I am literally drowning. And I am hoarse from calling out for help. And I'm looking for you, God, and I don't see you. That's just the first three verses. He goes on and on about all of the issues and all of the struggles and all of the hardships that he's dealing with. And he's not covering them all. There's a lot of books, a lot of chapters in Psalms, right? But this is what's going on in his life. So this goes on for the next 27 verses. Then he comes to the 30th verse and writes these words. I will praise God's name in song, and I will glorify him with what? With what? Thanksgiving, right? In the midst of the hardships and the struggles and the difficulties of my life, where I feel like I'm drowning, I still find reason to sing songs of praise to God and offer him my thanksgiving. Grateful people, thankful people, apparently are happy people. Right? A group of scholars researching and looking at this from a scientific model have said so. 
have said exactly what was known 3,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago that maybe we're discovering again today. Your life may be hard. You may be facing great challenge. You may be feeling deep disappointment. But you can find a peace that passes understanding. And part of the process is the expression of gratitude. Look for the things to be thankful for. They're all around you. So that's how I want to close out. I want to give you a moment to just kind of close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. And for this exercise, I want you to think about what is the hardest thing in your life right now, the biggest disappointment, the biggest struggle, the biggest heartache, whatever description you would have. What is that for you right now? And as you bring that to mind, I want you to offer that situation to God in prayer. Maybe you've been doing it every day. Maybe you've been doing it moment by moment. But to take this time right now and to offer that situation to God. Now I want you, want you to take just a moment and look for reasons to give thanks around that issue, not just in broad general, you know, thanks for my family kind of way, but, but in that situation, what can you give God thanks for? Maybe there's people that have come alongside you in the midst of that to give thanks for that. Maybe it's new wisdom. Maybe it's a sense of some peace in the midst of it, whatever, whatever you can identify. Give God thanks for that. So Lord, like David and like Paul, we want to be women and men who can be honest about the difficulties of our circumstances, but not overwhelmed by them. That in you we find a deep peace. We find true hope. We experience a rich happiness. And we give you thanks for it all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.